On June 24th of this year, the United States Supreme Court handed down what has been referred to as a landmark decision. Today on Kingdom Currents, I look at this decision and various reactions to it. Welcome to Kingdom Currents. This is Glenn Schultz, your host. By now, everyone is aware of the landmark Supreme Court decision in the case of Dobbs v. Jackson, in which decisions in two other cases, Roe and Casey, were overruled. This decision has sparked heated debates and protests from abortion, pro-abortion advocates uh, across the country. It is important to set aside our emotions that might be running high uh, when rulings like this come down and make sure we understand what the actual high court ruling was and how it impacts the issue of abortion. Many are falsely claiming that this court decision made abortion illegal. But here are some key points that came from the Dobbs ruling. The court stated that the Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. The court said that the right to an abortion was different from other privacy rights. Justice Alito wrote, What sharply distinguishes the abortion right from the rights recognized in the cases on which Roe and Casey rely is something that both those decisions acknowledged. Abortion destroys what those decisions call potential life and what the law at issue in this case regards as the life of an unborn human being. Abortion presents a profound moral question, the court said. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. However, Roe and Casey abrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elective representatives. We probably need to go back to 1973 and the infamous Roe v. Wade decision and understand some important points that formed the basis for the ruling at that time. The court ruled that the U.S. Constitution provides a fundamental right to privacy and this right protects a person's right to choose to have an abortion. It also ruled that the abortion right is not absolute and must be balanced against the government's interest in protecting health and prenatal life. The court concluded that the unborn have never been recognized in the law as persons in the whole sense. This is an extremely important statement to make note of. The court at that time found that it is not up to the states to decide when life begins. One of their quotes is, We do not agree that, by adopting one theory of life, Texas may override the rights of pregnant women that are at stake. It is important to note that Roe v. Wade did not legalize abortion. What it did, it changed the way states could regulate abortion and characterized abortion as something that was covered under constitutional rights of privacy. This, this ruling has been in place since 1973, and the consequences have been drastic. There have been over 63 million babies aborted in the United States since this infamous ruling. The reaction from the pro-abortion crowd to this new ruling has been swift and at many times violent. Protests began before the ruling was actually handed down 
due to that illegal leak of the majority opinion that took place. There is no doubt about it, the gloves have come off and the battle over abortion has not ended, but has actually intensified. We have been sort of horrified by witnessing protests outside the private homes of several of the Supreme Court justices. And by the way, uh, those types of protests are against the law. There was even one assassination attempt that fortunately was thwarted. Several Christian pregnancy care centers and some churches have been vandalized. The rhetoric has ratcheted up to an unprecedented level, and yet the truth of what the pro-abortion faction actually believes is now unashamedly being voiced for all to hear. In one op-ed in The Nation magazine, the writer said this, and, and it's pretty startling, and, and I want you to listen to uh, the semantics that are used to try and get around certain identities and things like that. This person wrote, When pro-life forces agitate against feticide on the basis that it is killing, pro-abortion feminists should be able to acknowledge without shame that yes, of course it is. When we withdraw from gestating, we stop the life of the product of our gestational labor. And it's a good thing we do, for otherwise the world would sag under the weight of forced life. It is a hard pill to swallow for a misogynist society, sentimentally attached to its ideology of patriarchal motherhood. But the truth is that gestators should get to decide which bodies to give form to. This choosing is our prerogative. A desire not to be pregnant is sufficient reason in and of itself to terminate a gestate. Wow, this person states it clearly. Abortion kills a baby, but it's ethical and justifiable if the woman simply doesn't want to be pregnant. As I have listened to the debate over abortion, I have found that those who favor abortion and believe it is a fundamental human right focus on what the mother believes best for herself. It is all about the individual, what is best for me. A recent testimony of a woman before the House Oversight Committee makes this very clear when she testified, My abortion was the best decision I ever made. It was an act of self-love. Another woman posted on social media the following, No woman should be forced to bear a child against her will. That, to me, is a fundamental right. It amazes me how people avoid answering very important questions by asking other questions that shift the focus from the truth about the sanctity of human life. This was never more evident than in another person's testimony before a Senate hearing on the overturning of Roe v. Wade. This time, the person is a law professor at the University of California at Berkeley. When she was asked if she advocated for more black babies to be aborted, she focused on the mother's right to decide the future of the baby rather than the question that was being asked. Listen carefully to her answer. I believe I trust I love black people with the capacity for pregnancy. I think they have agency, they have intelligence, they know what is best for themselves, and I would love to create the conditions under which they can live lives that are filled with dignity and humanity. 
Did you notice that she refuses to talk about a pregnant woman, but uses the woke language of people with the capacity for pregnancy? She states that these people have intelligence and quote-unquote know what is best for themselves. Then she was asked whether she thought a baby that is not yet born has value. She takes the focus completely off of the baby and on the expectant mother. Again, I ask you to listen carefully to how she focuses on what is best for a woman and totally disregards the life of the baby. And do you think a do you think a, a baby that is delivered alive has value? Yes. Do you think that a, um, a a baby that is not yet born has value? I believe that a person with a capacity for pregnancy has value. They have intelligence. They have agency. They no, have. I'm talking dignity. about the baby. And I'm talking about the person with a capacity for and pregnancy. And you're not answering the question. I'm asking. I'm, you I'm, think answer, that a, I'm answering you, a more interesting you think question that, to you me. You think that the baby that is not yet born, let's say the day before this mother delivers, do you think that baby has value? I think that the person with the capacity for pregnancy has value and they have the they should have the ability to control what happens to their lives. Well, and, and I just note you refuse to answer the question. Again, the refusal to answer the real question is amazing. She has to admit that a baby once born has value, but when asked if that same baby has value before it is birthed, she refuses to even go that direction. Instead, she focuses again on the person with capacity for pregnancy. When the senator says that she isn't answering the question, her response is mind-blowing. Did you hear what she said? She, she said, well, answering a more interesting question is important to her. She then concludes that the quote-unquote person with the capacity of pregnancy, let's be honest, a woman, has value and should be able to control what happens to their lives. The questioning then turned to Illinois Lieutenant Governor, and she was asked a simple question, but once again refused to answer the question, but turned the focus on the rights of the one who wants to abort a baby. Listen closely to her response. Governor Stratton, as I listen to your testimony, it seems to me that you're advocating for abortion uh, at any time, for any reason, at any point during a woman's pregnancy. Is that correct? What I'm advocating for is for everyone to have the right to determine what's best for their life, their at body, any, and their any future. At any time, at any point in the pregnancy. Is that correct? I'm advocating for everyone to have the right to make the personal decision about what's best for their life, their body, and their future. I don't, everyone should have that right. Do you not understand my question? My question is, are you advocating that a right, there's a right to abortion at any time, for any reason, at any point during a pregnancy? I'm not sure if you understand my answer, but what I'm saying no, is I, that— No, I understand that you're okay. not answering the question. Then we're— I, and, what she said was, I'm advocating for everyone to have the right to determine what is best for their life. She repeats it when challenged, and she puts it even more bluntly. I'm advocating for everyone to have the right to make the personal decision about what's best for their life, their body, their future. No 
no reference to even the baby's rights, the baby's body, the baby's future. What amazes me is that if you continue to press people to answer the actual question, you end up being accused of being a racist, a homophobe, or in this case, you're transphobic. This became evident in the same Senate hearing when this law professor was asked some more questions by another senator. Listen carefully to her response. Uh, Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important Because of my line of questioning? Because, so we can't talk about it? Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist I'm is denying that trans people exist by asking Are you? you if you're talking Are you? about women Are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that the, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think women can get <laughs> so pregnant. So you are denying that trans people exist? And that leads to violence? Did you hear how she turned the tables from the truth of only women being able to become pregnant? To you are transphobic, if you believe this to be true. We find ourselves in this condition, not by accident, but really by design. The focus of what is best for a person in their own eyes, or meism, is a result of years of secular education denying the existence of God. Once again, I want to turn your attention to the law professor's testimony to the Senate subcommittee. She is asked if this is how she runs her classes. She is very proud of the fact that this is exactly what she teaches and how she such shuts down discussion by labeling people in derogatory terms who do not agree with her. Listen carefully to what she says. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you? Absolutely. Or are they also treated like this? Where no, no, no. They're, they're told that to they're at opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow. I, I would learn a lot. I've learned a you, lot just I know. in this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Yep. Um, when the existence of God is denied, there can be no absolute truth. Truth cannot be allowed to exist outside of individuals. Therefore, truth is subjective and is determined by what is right and best for the individual. Removing God from education led to the entire self-esteem movement where self-love is considered to be the most important love one can possess. Again, this will always be the result in society when the existence of God is at best ignored or worse denied throughout the educational process. As Christians, we should not be shocked or surprised by what we see happening in our country. We are witnessing what God's Word tells us will be the result when a people refuse to believe in God. 
Consider Paul's words in Romans 1, verses 21 and 22. He writes to Roman believers the following, Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they actually became fools. We hear some of these outlandish statements and wonder, how can one, anyone who is educated say, much less believe, such foolishness that we've heard in these different uh, audio clips? For example, refusing to admit that only women can become pregnant and then calling someone who believes this truth to be transphobic. They profess themselves to be wise, but they have actually become fools. Paul continues to explain what happens when people do not want to even have the existence of God in their minds. Listen to what he says in the later verses of Romans chapter 1. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, unrighteousness, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The last statement of this passage is chilling to say the least. People who live such wicked lives are not ashamed of doing so and even approve of those who practice them. We find people applauding unrighteousness instead of repenting of it. If this list doesn't describe today's culture, I don't know what does. Paul also describes what happens when we don't acknowledge God's existence in his second letter to young Timothy in chapter 3. And he writes, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, this whole self-love, self-esteem, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, meaning proud, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Paul is warning Christians, you can't be under the influence of certain types of people. We are seeing the catastrophic results that decades of secular education have caused. Paul warns Christians to turn away from such people. Yet the vast majority of Christians continue to send their children into the very schools that teach this foolishness. What is even more concerning is seeing some churches and Christian schools embrace some of these same false ideologies. Since the Dobbs v. Jackson ruling, I've seen many Christians responding to what is taking place in the country as evidence that God will send judgment on our country. 
I don't know if and when God will send some type of judgment on us. However, the scripture makes it clear that maybe his strongest judgment might be carried out by simply giving us what we want. But this is a topic for another episode. Again, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you'll tell others and encourage them to subscribe to it. For more information about Kingdom Education Ministries, please go to my website at kingdomeducationministries.com. And I also want to encourage you to check out Frameworks, a biblical worldview initiative of Northwest Christian Schools in Phoenix, Arizona, where they have developed online courses that will help all teenagers, regardless of where they attend school, understand key issues in life from a biblical worldview. You can find out information on Frameworks by going to the website ncsaz.org. That's ncsaz.org. Until next time, have a blessed day.